You're on the Fiction Road. I'm writer Cheryl Alloway. Let's drive it together and find out what fictional saga is around the corners. Choose from a variety of genres that are crafted with one thing in mind, the love of the story. It's a much needed part of our day, more than ever, to lose the fast pace and settle down into a place where our minds can go to another place and another time. Join me as we explore the narrative world in podcast format. It's never been easier to entertain ourselves than podcast storytelling. So sit back, choose your story, and see what the fiction road has to offer. Thanks for stopping by, and enjoy your stay. The Fiction Road is powered by Anchor by Spotify. Music is provided by pixabay.com. You've reached another stop on the Fiction Road. This time, we meet someone who most definitely sits on my favorite person's list, as fictional as he may be. Sit back and listen to a nostalgic and poignant tale set in the late 1940s about a circus animal trainer and his partner who show that the lessons of resilience and patience are two of the most valuable to any of us. And without further ado, the story Elephant Heart is about to begin. Renato Fausti was a circus performer who had left his life in war-torn Italy to find a life across the sea. Renato joined a smaller competitor to the Ringling Brothers to enter the circus craze of the 1940s. Many performers had lost their jobs with the larger circuses like Ringling during the Depression and then throughout the war, but Renato found his place in the world at just the right time, when it had all finally ended and a regrowth of society arose. He was one talented man, and, in fact, many people wondered if he was not the most talented circus trainer they'd ever seen. You see, Renato had an elephant for a partner named Peanut, and this is their story. The afternoon saw a cool, misty rain, and so many people were rumbling around, It was confusion and loud chaos. There was pain and fear inside Renato as he stood alone on the New York pier, looking up at the ship that had just brought him from a long and unexpected journey in life. He'd stepped off with nothing but his small suitcase and fifty dollars in his pocket. Renato was hopeful, but terrified. He smelled from not bathing regularly. He had scars all over him from his horrifying origin, and one lens of his glasses was slightly cracked. He squeezed the handle of his bag and tried to breathe out the tension within his chest. His tattered clothes were dirty, and he had barely enough soles on the bottoms of his shoes to keep him from hurting his feet as he walked down the plank of the ship. Life was going to be hard, and his past was still haunting him. He was trying to brace himself for it all as he gazed at the other hopeful but pensively strange faces around him. He tried to decide what he was going to do to survive. Two years before, in 1943, Renato's life at the age of 19 was literally erased by the bombings of the war. The Western Allies, Italian Royal Army, Russians and Germans, along with many others, 
were fighting a battle that was confusing and unimaginably devastating to so many. Renato's home was no exception. As the sun rose over the smoke-filled sky in his small northern Italian village, Renato wept as he watched his life stop instantly before his eyes. The smell of death and burning buildings was now torturing him in every way possible. As he sobbed with his hands, pulling and grasping the rubble, he yanked it back to try and find a glimmer of his family or their humble home that was now gone. It was all buried. They were all buried. And Renato, after injuring his hands and choking from the swelling stench of the intense cocktail of everything that was burning together, had to finally give up. He fell down to his knees on the path that had once led up to the stone farmhouse they lived in. He heard other people crying out, but there were so few of them. And it was like someone had made everyone else vanish but the small number of them, struggling to take in what had just happened. Artillery had hit hard, and Renato's small town was demolished. There had been no warning. Any troops or civilians who were in the area suffered great numbers of loss. The only reason Renato was not in the Italian army fighting was that his sight was failing him. He was starting to slowly go blind, but could see just enough to function. At present, he was severely farsighted and could barely see the details of things in front of him. His mother, his father, and his two younger siblings had made their home in the small farm town of Nietzsche on the ocean edge of Tuscany, and although strong and able-bodied enough to help his father with their small farm, Renato was not able to be a soldier. Many of his friends were. And now, as he sat down to weep quietly, and his feelings of terror grabbed onto him, Young Renato Fausti did not know what to do next. He was covered in black soot and had contusions all over his body. Someone was stumbling over towards him. It was a familiar face to Renato as it came clearer into his sight. Mr. Marcello, a local grocer before the war, put his hand on Renato's shoulder and just held on to him. Neither said a word. Renato and his father once brought Mr. Marcello fresh milk, eggs, and many other vegetables to sell. He took a very small profit and in turn gave the rest to Renato's family. His mother would be sweet and return the favor of generosity with homemade tomato sauce and little baskets of olives from their small orchard. It was a beautiful friendship the two families once had. Mr. Marcello had just lost his wife and daughter and his entire shop was gone now, too. Oh, there were no words coming from either of their mouths. They sat together now and just shook their heads in disbelief at the hellish-like vision now in their view. Their faces were tear-stained and dirty. All their relatives, their friends, oh, the once quaint and cobblestone streets, the terracotta flower pots, the ladies carrying their goods to sell at the market, the smell of fresh bread, the sound of children playing in the street was gone. It was all gone. They were both 
terrified, and so completely devastated they could hardly sleep or eat the few biscuits that Mr. Marcello had salvaged from the shop rubble. He dug out a few tins of sardines, and they used the empty tins to gather rainwater to drink so as not to become dehydrated. Many had left already. It was dismal, to say the least. They spoke very little, but Mr. Marcello would hold on to Renato now and then to remind him that he was there. He knew full well that poor Renato could barely see. He had no glasses to aid in his affliction either, as they could not afford to purchase them. His own glasses were now slightly bent, but working for him. Two days later, after sleeping in a small church nook that had just enough roof over it to shelter them, the two men decided to make their way to the seaside where it was rumored that boats were taking people to England and then to America. There was nothing for them at home now. After a painful heart-to-heart, they decided to pack anything they could find into two small bags they found within the debris, along with any money they had had in their pockets, and make their way to the seaport. Mr. Marcello was not well, however, and so one night at the port, while they waited for their opportunity to leave, and as Renato was falling asleep, he put his few items of clothing and other things into Renato's bag, along with his own small amount of money into Renato's pocket. Mr. Marcello now went to lie down, He felt in his soul that the young man would need anything he could give him to make it on the long and frightening trip to escape the ravages of war that had now taken over their lives. The next day, Renato could not find Mr. Marcello, and then as he frantically rounded a corner, there was a couple standing over him with a very sad look upon their faces. Mr. Marcello had passed in the night. They turned to ask if he was Renato's father, and sad Renato simply answered with tears in his eyes, No, but he he was my friend. His mother had taught him English, in case Renato ever needed it. He was her oldest son, and she wanted him to be prepared for as much as he could be. Her insight was Renato's saving grace, and... It were as if she knew what was to come. There was a call to have anyone ready to now board or lose their chance, and so Renato, with tears streaming down his face, rushed back to his bag, noticing that it was a bit heavier than he remembered. He grabbed it nonetheless and ran to take his place on the boat that was now headed for the island of the United Kingdom. He kept quiet and made sure he watched his things closely, One would never know who would be desperate enough to harm him or steal his humble bag of belongings. The bag. He now became curious to know why it was so much heavier, and when he unzipped it and looked inside, he was taken aback. Mr. Marcello had placed silverware, a wooden bowl, and a copper milk jug inside. Along with them were extra clothes and a pair of torn but usable shoes. One item caught his blurry eyesight the most. He took it gently within his hands and pulled it up to see it better. Mr. Marcello had placed one of his carved figurines within the bag. He was very skilled at whittling and had sold some of his pieces in his old shop. Renato remembered well. 
His father had brought home a horse for his little sister one Christmas. Well, a blip in memory gave his damaged heart a little bit of comfort in the moment. Now gazing at it as best he could and feeling its shape, Renato knew what it was now. The character of an elephant was within his hand, and as he felt the ears and the feet on the small carving, he teared up again. The last drop rolled down his cheek, and he looked around at the faces of the others who were also in shock. He couldn't make out the details with his poor eyesight, but he realized that he was ironically not alone anymore. He suddenly felt a gratefulness that he'd not felt for days. He knew the elephant was a symbol of remembrance and strength, and so he held on to the sentiment as a child would a teddy bear. Mr. Marcello's kindness was making him feel ironically very lucky. As he lay down that night, he was positioning the bag under his head and felt something poke his cheek from the outside flap. He felt first, as he usually did, and then looked with his blurry vision. Pulling the atom up closely, Renato gasped. Mr. Marcello had left him a pair of glasses. His glasses. Oh, Renato's father had told their friend about his son's eyesight, and Mr. Marcello had told him that he suffered a similar affliction from farsightedness that was getting worse and worse. Renato put the glasses on out of sheer emotion and suddenly he could see things around him better. It wasn't perfect, but it was an improvement. He felt utterly humbled by it and just lay his head down remembering the man who tried to stay by his side for as long as he could. Renato's father would have been so grateful. He now fell asleep hungry and exhausted to the sounds of whispering voices and the rumble of the ship's engine felt within his chest. The next morning he awoke to darkness because his sleeping spot was in the hull of the ship along with many others. He got up not talking, grabbing his little bag, adjusting his glasses, and following the lineup of people as they made their way off the ship and on to the English pier. The sun pierced their eyes after so much time in the darkness. He wasn't there for long, though, as Renato heard another man whisper to his fearful wife, I heard there's another ship leaving for the Americas in two hours. Let's get on. We've got to try. It's our only chance. Renato had no choice but to follow them and take his chances, too. He was quiet and quick, and as he moved his now starving young body behind the larger ship's hull door, he slipped between a crowd of ship hands. He looked like one of them, and so he was lucky to make it in. He scurried as fast as he could to find a hiding place. He did it, and stayed still and silent for the two hours as the ship was loaded and readied to leave port. He was feeling dizzy, however, as he had not had any water or food for so long. He looked around, and he listened. After a painful twenty minutes of trying to get his mind to keep working, he saw a deckhand bring a pail of water and a mop and leave it on the floor of the crew quarters. Renato heard him say to another that he'd be using it to clean up a mess that someone had made from seasickness, and that he took it from the drinking vessel on the deck above because he was just too lazy to get the rope out and scoop up seawater for the task. 
Oh, the thought. It almost made Renato vomit. But he waited and then quickly went to the bucket to drink the water. It may well have been wine to him. It filled his empty stomach and made him suddenly bloom like a flower in a garden after rain. Now, however, he wanted food, but realized he'd have to resort to stealing. There was no guilt, however, within him, as he was now literally starving after days of nothing. Again he waited and took his chance to sneak two biscuits from the counter near the crew's quarters. His eyes got wide just then as well, as he noticed a pot of soup left with just enough for one more bowl. Cautiously he pretended to work as if he were one of them, after grabbing a broom and sweeping as he went. No one noticed him, and as they left to the sound of a bell ringing that their mealtime was over, Renato saw his chance. He ducked out of sight behind a door and waited until they were all gone. Rushing over, he now took the cold pot within his hands and gulped down the plain but nourishing soup. He felt so much better now, and he took a tin of crackers and found a bottle to fill with water. He snuck back to his normal hiding spot and stashed his precious finds within his bag for when he became peckish again. That was all he took, as he did not wish to draw too much attention. Feeling as though the place he had found was secure enough for him to lay low, he felt a rumble in his stomach. Renato had to go. But where? He remembered the bucket and rushed out quickly to grab it. There was still a bit of water in it as the deckhand had left it there. He took one more bottle and filled it too with water, jamming it into his bag, and then he relieved himself quickly into the bucket. He couldn't keep it with him, though, because now the smell was making him ill. He saw a porthole and opened it quickly, tossing the bucket's contents out. He used a small amount of water and rinsed out the bucket and tossed it out again. Placing his bucket now away from him into the far reaches of the corner he was in, Renato now wept. This was all too much for him, and he suddenly began to cry. He made himself fall asleep. For days, Renato woke up and did whatever he needed to to stay unnoticed. By slowly integrating himself into the crew, Many of them were simply young men as he was, and so he was able to pretend to be one of the hired hands. They accepted him, and it worked. He moved around, working, eating, and sleeping among them. He made himself scarce, however, as the lingering fear of someone finding out was frightening to him. He worked hard to make it look as though he was supposed to be there. It worked, and he made his way to the shores in the far distance of the Americas that everyone had once told him about. The strange image of a massive torch-wielding statue was now beginning to come into his still imperfect vision as he stood with his mop on the bow of the ship. You see, Renato had not arrived on the American shores the year he left Italy or the next year. He had been faking his position and working on the ship for two years, Unbelievably, he had been able to fool everyone. Whenever they called for payday, he just pretended he'd already gotten it. He had nothing but the same fifty dollars he and Mr. Marcello had in their pockets that fateful day. 
He just kept it with hope that eventually he would land on the American shore. He kept that hope alive by hearing the other men talking about their next routes and the months that went on. He simply bided his time. There were now bells going off and people racing to prepare for docking. All of the crew was scurrying around him and he saw his chance again to slip down to retrieve his bag and make sure he was ready to hide amongst them all to finally get off the ship. He was tired and could not take it any more, as sturdy as he had been through his ordeal. The sight of land was making his resilience now turn into prayers. Now on the pier of New York City, Renato grabbed onto his face and his hope. He made his way into the area where people were being accounted for and once again listened carefully to the conversations. His lack of sight had made Renato learn to do so since he was a young child, and it was about to save his life again. As he heard what others were going through with the officers who were trying to track those coming off the ship, Renato took out his crewman ID that he had stolen from the boat. He prayed that they would think he was just on leave from the large ship, just as another crew member, and as he was looked at very uncomfortably and closely by a nasty-looking man, he jutted into a group of the other workers who were also pulling and showing their IDs. He walked without expression behind three other young men and acted as they did. When the man he saw was right in front of him, Renato's heart began to race. He was so afraid. The man glanced down at his bag and back to Renato's face. Renato suddenly found it in himself to smile and nod his head up and down as to not show the utter fear he was feeling inside. Well, luck was with him, and he made it. The man grumpily ushered him down the line to now take the next young crew member's ID. Oh, my God! He thought to himself, Please, get me out of here now. As soon as he could see some of the other men heading down the ramp to find their way into the city, he scurried now, making his move as he had been doing all along. He felt like a thief in the night, having to be so deceitful and stealthy. But as the sun began to go down behind the tall buildings of the bustling New York cityscape, Renato Fausti found a park bench to finally sit down upon. Free of anyone's judgmental eyes, free of the pain he was feeling trapped on the ships, free of the torturous sounds of the engine, the smell and the sickening stench on board, he sat still and closed his eyes as he heard seagulls above him and smelled the now fresher air that was entering his lungs. Renato placed his hands over his face and fell forward onto his lap, not believing where he was, not believing what had all just transpired in his life. He took out his little bottle and sipped some water to try and settle himself. For an hour, he sat there watching the people walk by. Some were looking at him strangely, and some didn't even care. He was, however, well aware of his own filth and took himself to the edge of the shore and tried to wash his face. He cleaned his hands, brushed off his work clothes and his bag. His shoes were now tattered, and he knew that he needed to find a place to sleep and clean himself up. With water and crackers in his bag, as always, 
he started to walk. He walked, and he walked, and took in the sounds of the boisterous city. The war had ended while Renato was on the ships, and now he could see life in a very different way. There were cars, tall buildings, people everywhere, and as he gazed into the store windows in awe of what was for sale, he noticed a sign outside a small cigar shop. He needed to get a bit closer to read it, but Mr. Marcello's old glasses gave him the ability to do so. The sign read, Room and Board for Exchange of Inside Help. That was it. And it was nothing but a second or two for Renato to jump at the humble opportunity. He entered politely and tried to fix his hair, now tucked behind his ears from not being cut for so long. He had a small beard and a mustache and smiled as best he could to the owner who approached him. The man came over and asked what he wanted. Renato asked if the sign outside was still valid, and the answer was yes. He tried not to seem too desperate, but offered his previous fake job duties as his sort of resume from the shipwork. The man would have no real way of knowing, and as Renato did have his ID in his hand, the man took him in and removed the sign from the front window. He showed him the room he would stay in upstairs, and it was tiny, but Renato saw a thin mattress with a blanket and a pillow, a chair in the corner, a small window out onto the street, and then he turned to his new boss, saying, "'Thank you. I can start now if you need me to.' His new boss, Mr. Francis, went over the rules, his work hours, and what was expected each day. Renato took it all in and began to work that afternoon, carrying the heavy boxes of cigars and cigarettes in from the delivery trucks. He helped Mr. Francis clean the inside and outside of the shop, and made sure the doors were locked at night, and turned the sign. Mr. Francis was grateful, as he had lost his previous help to the war draft. Now the two men were living a simple life, keeping up shop as Renato slowly made a humble life for himself. After a few months, Mr. Francis was quite pleased by Renato and his work ethic, and so he offered Renato a small wage now and the right to work the cash register along with his stocking and receiving duties. It was a blessing that could not have come at a better time. Christmas Eve 1948, and Renato and Mr. Francis were closing up early, not before, however, Mr. Francis gave his young employee a bonus. On top of his regular $20 a week, he was given an extra $20 and two days off work so that he could have a break. It was amazing for the young man who had thought he may never even see another Christmas not so long ago. As Mr. Francis was leaving to see his family, the shop was locked up and Renato had his key for the back door to come and go. He was so excited, and he had earned his boss's trust. He was wanting to take the train to see a circus that was in a small town outside of New York. It was not the large Ringling Brothers, but it was said to be entertaining and not too costly to buy a ticket. He had been saving almost all of his money, and after spending some of it on a very heartfelt gift of a book that Mr. Francis loved, he gave his boss his holiday gift. Well, Mr. Francis smiled and said, 
you enjoy your time. I'm very proud of you. I love the book. Now be careful and make sure you're back here in two days ready to work again. Have a good time, my boy. Are you sure you don't want to come with me? Renato was happy for the first time in so long. He was happy. Oh, thank you, Mr. Francis, but you needed to enjoy your family. Trust me when I say it is a precious thing. I wish you and your family well. I have a little train ride to take on a boxing day. I'll watch at the shop and enjoy some of the city tomorrow. You have a wonderful time. And a Merry Christmas to you. Well, Renato was skipping in his step now. He spent Christmas Day in his little room with a small tree he decorated with pine cones and buttons on a string. He went for a walk in the park and listened to the sounds of the church bells ringing. He heard the choir. He stood and took a deep breath, feeling the spiritual presence in their stunning voices. For dinner, he had a nice warm chicken sandwich with gravy on it from the shop down the street. He stopped at the soda shop next and had an ice cream float. He watched the skaters in the park as they swirled and twirled under the lit Christmas tree that the park had put up. He slept well that night and knew he had one more day to enjoy the next morning. He got up and made sure the cigar shop was locked up tight before he made his way out into the streets that had been decorated on each light post with garland and red bows. He smiled and took another deep breath, soaking in the peace he was feeling. He was a bit lonely, but Renato was far too grateful to feel sorry for himself. He walked down to the train station with $150 in his pocket. It was the most money he'd ever had on hand. He bought a train ticket and found his way to see the Magnolia Circus that was just one hour away. The train ride was not too long for him, and he enjoyed the scenery as he gazed out the window and watched the city turn into a more country setting. As the train pulled into the small station, he saw a sign right away for the circus. He got up close and adjusted his glasses. The colorful characters were painted together in a montage of eclectic performance activities to excite the onlooker and promote a sense of wonder. There were, of course, clowns, the ringmaster, the tightrope walkers, and the grand elephants. They had four in this circus troupe, and that is where Renato's eyes kept staring. He was enamored by them in so many ways, especially with Mr. Marcello's special rendition of one keeping him company in his room and all those years to practically save his soul. He couldn't wait to make his way down the road and find himself there to experience it all. The Magnolia Circus was unique as it did not move around like others did. They were told they'd never last because of it. They'd lose patrons and no one would travel to see them. But they had kept going through it all. And when times were tough, they all just shared what they had and took care of each other because they only had a few animals that grazed in the fields and roamed free in their enclosures. They didn't have to buy copious amounts of meat and animal feed. When an animal was ill, they paid for it from their shared earnings. 
It was a farm circus, as people called it, and for the Magnolia Troop, life was as they wanted it. Bringing joy to people made it all worthwhile. Fame was not their goal. But not surprisingly, those who did travel to see them brought word of mouth to many other corners of the country. It was enough for them. This is also what drew the humble Renato to see them. He felt a connection even before he got there. Getting into line to buy his ticket and enter the big tent, Renato made his way in and there he found a seat right up front. There were people gathering all around him in anticipation for the show to start. The music began and the ringmaster introduced all of the acts one by one. Each time a new actor-performer came out, Renato clapped loudly and the ringmaster noticed him. He smiled as he knew his show was pleasing his audience, especially the sturdy and smiling young man in the front row. The people who played the clowns were jovial and endearing. The tightrope act was a young girl and her father, and they made everyone gasp in awe at their physical control. Two women came out together and did amazing twists and balancing feats. A man dressed as a cowboy rode his tanned Palomino horse and lassoed targets in a complicated obstacle course. It was very entertaining for such a small venue. Renato ate popcorn and sipped a cola. He suddenly wished his family were there with him. Oh, how his little siblings would love to see all of it. With Mr. Francis helping him to pay to have his glasses fixed, he could see everything still, and his sight had not changed much. When he could afford it, he would visit the eye doctor and get a new pair that suited him better. But thinking blindness was his future, he'd been lucky that it had stopped worsening for some time now. He was eating better, and that may have also been helping. Renato just made do, as he always had. His needs were simple, but that day he allowed himself to splurge. It was Christmas, after all, and with warmer weather keeping the snow away still, it was almost a green holiday for the Magnolia Troop. But the show must go on, as they said, and Boxing Day was a great day to continue the holiday spirit. When the final segment for the show was introduced, Renato's eyes widened. Circus crew had come out with holiday decorations and Christmas music was playing as they got ready to wish everyone a wonderful and special holiday. The clowns were handing out candy canes to the children and the atmosphere was very comforting to Renato. It was now time for the closing act, the elephants. He watched everything the way they worked, the actions of the animal trainer, the beautiful expression on the mighty but docile elephant faces. They were magnificent to him, intelligent, gentle, powerful, and most of all, talented. They were counting and dancing and tossing large balls and hoops between each other, and then the trainer had a very large pool of water brought out on a huge trolley and placed it in the middle of the ring. Renato wondered why, and then everyone's hearts melted when the ringmaster shouted to everyone to watch the elephants as they proceeded with their final and most endearing act. They gathered water in their trunks and sprayed each other and the clowns came back out and the elephants sprayed them and they tumbled and ran around as they became fun targets. Then the trainer gave them bananas and they fed the elephants as a reward 
Uh, for their expert target shooting. They pranced around freely with their ears flopping back and forth as their trainer laughed and clapped his hands. It were as if they were dancing with him and the clowns. The ringmaster announced finally, And this, my good people, is the way our animals should be. Happy and playing after a show well done, would you not say? Merry Christmas to you all. We thank you for coming and make sure you visit the various games on grounds, find something wonderful to eat, and enjoy the magnificent Magnolia Circus. Renato clapped and shouted happy hoots and hollers with everyone else around him. It was a moment he would never forget. The treatment of the animals seemed much more humane and caring than he anticipated. He knew they were transported on trains and in trucks for the larger troops, but here the Magnolia Circus never moved. This was their location, as the animals they had were like farm animals, set free into their respective fields and fenced in sections after the day was done. They weren't kept in crates or cages. Renato was so impressed. He wanted to see the elephants again, and so he made his way to the back of the circus property, where a large gate led to the field and shelters that the magnolia elephants were set loose in after their shows. He saw the trainer, whose name was Will. When he approached, Will had a large grin upon his face and welcomed his audience member with pride. There had been children and parents and other people making their way around the animal compound to see the animals relaxing now, and it was Renato's turn. Will reached out his hand to shake Renato's, and the two spoke in depth about the elephants and how Will took care of them. He told Renato that they had come from larger troops, not from across the ocean. Will and the Magnolia group had saved their elephants from other circus groups, as at times... Too many to take care of and feed became the result of over-purchasing. Thinking more was better and would make more money. Magnolia purchased three of the elephants and then a fourth, realizing that the new female was pregnant. She had Peanut, and now they were a herd of five. It was very remarkable to the kind-hearted Renato. I'm getting old stated Will, with a large smile on his face. But I will tell you, my young friend, I never get tired of these beautiful creatures. Are they not the most fascinating things you've ever seen? They are like us, very human in nature. Renato quickly agreed. I believe you are one of the luckiest men I know. I agree, and that little one is... Quite sweet-looking. He is going to be in the show? Will smiled gently, but noted. Actually, he's quite introverted so far compared to the others. I'm not sure he will be a good candidate, but he was born here, and so his life is his however he chooses. I never force my elephants to do anything. They do things because they want to. I've seen many treated poorly in other places, and it is not something I allow. Renato's heart melted when he saw the little elephant, and he walked over to the fence to get closer. Will suddenly watched in utter amazement 
as the elephant noticed Renato and started to show interest. Renato spoke to him gently in Italian and held his hand out. Will gave him a banana now, and Renato pushed it through for the little elephant. He began to stroll closer and closer at the interesting voice that was coming from the fence. Will was staring now. Peanut, as he was aptly named, never went to anyone other than Will. At that moment, time stood still as Peanut came directly over to Renato now and lifted his tiny trunk to gently graze Renato's arm before slowly taking the banana. He pulled it into his little mouth and Renato placed his hand ever so slightly upon his fuzzy head. Peanut's eyes met Renato's and Will almost teared up watching. He could not believe his eyes. Renato turned and said, He is a magnificent. May I come and visit him more if I am able? Will nodded his head up and down, still in shock. <laughs> of course, you come back any time. Renato needed to leave soon to take the train back to the city, but as he was leaving, Peanut squawked a holler of joy and pranced around his mother back to the fence and then back to her again. He kept staring at Renato. Turning to leave now, Renato lifted his arm to wave to Peanut and shouted in Italian, Adio piccolo tornero di nuovo. Goodbye, little one. I'll come back again. Will watched him walk away and then thought of something suddenly. He shouted, Excuse me, if you ever want to learn more, I am going to need an apprentice soon. Well, Renato stopped dead in his tracks and turned and said, An apprentice? Really me? Why me? Will walked to catch up to him and answered, Well, like I said, I, I'm getting old. I will need to slow down. I would not like to see them taken from the show because I'm not able to work with them. Truly, I believe they do love it. And you are the first person I've ever seen Peanut warm up to. His mother didn't even flinch either. She trusted you. That tells me something. You have a touch that he likes, and, well, that's enough for me to offer a job. I can't pay much, just $25 a week normally. But if the show picks up, we give a little extra to the performers. This troupe, you see, it takes care of its own. We're a family. The animals are our family, too. Someone like you would suit us very well. What is your name, if I may ask, and where are you from? Renato's heart was beating so fast as he was feeling a joy inside of him that he never expected. He had a good life with Mr. Francis, but here he'd have an open sky and the offer of what he felt was a chance of a lifetime. And so he responded quickly. My, my name is Renato Fausti. I came from Italy after the war. My family is gone. I've, I've found a nicer place in the city and I have a good boss. It would be hard for me to tell him I'm leaving, but... Maybe if he found someone else, I could think about your offer. It does sound wonderful. He glanced at Peanut. 
I, I, I just feel a, a duty, as you say, to make sure he's taken care of if I were to leave. He gave me a home when I had nothing. Well, that had just solidified things for Will. Renato's honor and loyalty were exactly what he would want for his elephants should he not be there forever. The elephants, ironically, would probably outlive Will. It was like Renato was sent to him for a reason. Will told Renato to make his decision when he could, and if he could afford the train tickets, to come back and visit more so the elephants could see him and get used to him. Will didn't trust anyone else to date with his elephants, and he had interviewed a few others more formally. But Renato, on the other hand, didn't need an actual interview. He just had it, and he just simply fit the bill. Weeks later, after he and Mr. Francis had had a talk about it all, they decided it was a good thing for Renato, and his boss, the man who had literally given him his life back, was supportive. Sad to see him go, but very supportive. The next few weeks saw Mr. Francis trying a few other men to work in the shop, and Renato had made the train trip to the Magnolia Circus Grounds as well many times. All his money was going to his tickets. He'd been in the field with the elephants and Will and worked with Peanut, who would practically kick up his hind feet when he saw him. Gio Nicholina, Renato would say to him. Hello, Peanut. Renato and Peanut were bonding in a very special way. It was extraordinary to Will, who was teaching Renato everything. For a young man who literally came from rubble and death all around him, Renato's sturdy heart was proving to be quite something. He had started off being a farm boy as well, and so this was a place that made him feel content. He sat down with Mr. Francis on his final day, and they toasted each other and had a nice meal together in the shop. That night, Renato told Mr. Francis everything that had happened to him, and that he didn't even have proper paperwork, as he had escaped the war in a very unorthodox way. Mr. Francis, well, he, he understood and kept the information to himself. Renato had not done anything wrong in his eyes. He worked hard and didn't harm anyone. All he wanted was to live. For three weeks, Mr. Francis looked and finally found someone to help him in his shop. And while Renato showed great ethic and patience to try and live on after what he'd been through, making sure his boss was not left alone was admirable, to say the least. It was a miracle that Renato survived it all, with no money, no real home for so long. Speaking English was a saving grace, as it would have been harder for him. His mother did well by him. Renato was now filling out as a man as well. He was very strong from his young working life. His wounds, his scars, well, they were there. But his back was wide, his hands were large and powerful, his face was handsome, and his heart had grown into one that glowed from the inside out. His terrifying beginnings had now turned into a life of a very deserving man. On the day Renato left, the two men had a hearty handshake and then hugged, and Mr. Francis patted him on the shoulder with a slight tear in his eye. But he would see Renato again. In fact, much of the country, and the world for that matter, would see him. 
Will and the crew officially welcomed Renato as he came into sight to finally be a permanent member of their troop. He wasn't leaving this time, and Will knew that this would just cement his relationship with Peanut. They settled in under the stars that night, and Renato decided to sleep in a sleeping bag beside Peanut. His mother had her own stall right beside them and kept nudging them both over the rail until sleep overtook them all. Will had walked out with a lantern and checked on them and saw the love that Renato and Peanut were developing between each other. He sighed and looked up at the stars and placed an extra blanket over the young man. Will just couldn't believe it. He was unique indeed. Welcome to the end of our show, my good people. We have a new member of our circus family and his trainer, and they would love to meet you all. We are very proud of them, and we just know that you will want to return again and again to see them. Please welcome to the ring the inquisitive and most adoring duo of the great Renato and Peanut. Cheers and shouts of joy, the crowd clapping, Will's smiling face. It all gave way to the colorfully dressed Renato and Peanut as they trotted out confidently into the center of the ring. There had been a two-tiered stage brought out by the clowns that day after the large elephant routine was over, and now it was Renato and Peanut showing everyone what a man and his love for an animal could do. Peanut was so intelligent, and Will and Renato had taught him to count with his foot like a horse, stand up on his hind legs and do pirouettes. He played toss with Renato and balanced himself on his two front feet while lifting his heavy hind legs in the air. It was astonishing to the crowd. People were just amazed. Peanut was still young, and no one could believe their eyes at the skills he already had with Renato. Their costumes were wonderful. The clowns were clapping with the crowd and hugging Peanut at the end of the act. Peanut looked as though he was literally smiling on his large gray face with his shiny brown eyes that had eyelashes three inches long. He had a tuft of hair on the top of his head and a small birthmark of a darker gray on his left ear. He was adorable. The children felt utter joy watching him. Their faces were so happy that when Renato looked around, it all went in slow motion for him. He had made it. He found his life now, his home. For ten years, Renato the Great and Peanut pulled in crowds from everywhere. The naysayers were wrong, and in fact, People from all over the world began to hear about and visit the Magnolia Circus Grounds. They were making a profit that none of them ever expected, and the grounds had seen five more elephants saved and added to the troop with Renato caring for them all. When something was worth it, people would pay for it, and as life after the war was now flourishing, families were growing, businesses were booming, and Renato and Peanut were now humbly famous. Will had passed away just a year before Renato had a visitor to the compound. 
The face was unmistakable to the elephant trainer who ran forward and embraced the man. Mr. Francis, with his now aging face, held on to Renato like a father. I'm so very glad to see you. I just can't believe what has been happening. You have made us all so proud, Renato, my boy. <laughs> Renato pulled back, and with his now handsome, smiling face, he answered, You stay overnight with Angela and I. I would love for you to meet my son Giovanni and have a dinner with us. You can meet Peanut and the other elephants. Mr. Francis happily obliged, and the next day he would find out why Will had given his elephants to Renato. They had a lovely evening, and Renato, now married to his wife Angela, watched as Mr. Francis played with his son Gio, as he called him. He was so proud. Suddenly, someone called out to Renato, and they all went running to the elephant compound. Two men were harassing the elephants, and Peanut, now fully grown, was snorting and frustrated with fear beyond the fence. He had put himself in between the men and the other elephants to protect them. He knew something was not right. Renato raced to them and found the men banging sticks on the fence and jeering at the animals, shouting and laughing at them. They had just done something they would regret, and all of a sudden one of them was flat on the ground after Renato punched him so hard in the face with his large fist that he stood no chance. The other once turned to yell at Renato and raised his fist to strike back when Renato stopped the strike in mid-air and squeezed the man's hand so hard he broke it within his massive grip. The man's face turned from laughter to pain and fear as Renato's formerly kind face had turned to one of protection for his animals. Gio ran to his father and shouted, Papa! Renato turned, and as he did, the man tried to strike him with his other hand. Just then a cane came up and stopped it. The man lurched back in pain as the face of Mr. Francis now glared at him from his other side. He and Renato looked at each other in support. You take your friend, your broken hand, and get off of these grounds. Never come back, because if you do, you might not get away with just broken bones, Renato said. No one threatens my elephants or my family. Everyone was standing back, and as the man on the ground woke up from the knockout punch, the other one took his arm, and they ran off looking like rats disappearing into the night. Renato's son, Gio, now ran to him and embraced his father. Renato and Mr. Francis looked down, and then over to the elephants. Renato whistled to Peanut, who now sauntered over to his owner and put his trunk through the fence as Renato embraced him. It's okay. It's all right. I'm here. You did well, Peanut. It's okay now. He looked down to Mr. Francis with his cane in his hand and a shaking arm and a look of relief on his face. Thank you, Mr. Francis. All they did was nod to each other and two of the troops from the circus went into the elephant compound to check the animals for Renato. They turned back and signaled that all was well. The ringmaster now said out loud as he too was there, making sure the two men were gone off the property. We'll make sure those two never are allowed here again, Renato, 
Maybe it's time we hired security. Renato and Mr. Francis nodded yes up and down, and Renato stated, We will right away. I don't care if all of my wages go to it. He touched Peanut again gently on his trunk. I'll make sure this never happens again. As the sun rose two weeks later, they readied themselves for another show, and Peanut was lumbering beside Renato for his morning stroll. Then Renato stood upon Peanut's trunk as the massive elephant pulled his owner up onto his back. Renato could now see the sun coming up over the hills, and the landscape was peaceful as they awaited the crowds for the day. They had security guards at the entrance, the gates, and especially the elephant compound. With the profits they had been making, no expense was too much for Renato and his troop to keep their family or their animals safe, and the Magnolia Circus went on for years with the top act on every poster showing. See the great Renato and Peanut as they defy gravity and mystify you with their skills. And so it is said that the humblest of hearts can sometimes be the strongest. In time, Renato and Peanut aged together, and as Renato got older, he would gaze down at his son Gio and know that one day, just like Will did, Renato would see his elephants go to the care of someone who was deserving of them. Their beauty and gentleness were bestowed upon them both, and Renato knew that like him, his son now had an elephant heart. Thank you very much, everyone, for stopping by The Fiction Road. I hope you enjoyed this heartfelt tale. Visit again, and we'll go to another place in another time. <laughs>